So habitual sin. Let's, uh, let's start off in Romans 8. We're going to read uh, 17 verses, so we're going to go quite a ways here. Um, Therefore, there is now no com- condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus was, has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh... I'm going to switch the paper here because I can see it better. Um, <clears throat> weak as it was through the flesh... God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace." Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness." But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption of sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. All right, so I wasn't counting, but it says the flesh, in the flesh, according to the flesh, a lot in there. And of course, countered with that in that passage of 17 verses, we also see a lot of pleasing God and living according to the Spirit and living in the Spirit. We see that that contrast there. And so I don't know if you guys remember last week, hopefully you remember last week a little bit, but uh, Romans you know, 7 was the same thing. It was Flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. And now we got the same thing again, the second chapter in Romans dealing with this. It was a pretty important issue with Paul, clearly. I mean, he's talking about these things in, in using up a lot of space in his, what, 18 chapters? Is that what it is in Romans? 16, 18? 16 chapters in Romans. But he's got two of those that are dealing with this issue. And so clearly it's an important thing for us to understand and for us to be thinking about how to apply these things in our lives, to be mindful of what is the flesh. How are we not going to live according to it? How are we going to live according to the Spirit? And what does that even mean? So this morning we're going to talk about habitual sin. And this is a result of the flesh. This is a result of essentially not being mindful of the flesh, not being careful about how we are living in the flesh, and being uh, able to think through what do we just naturally do? What are the things that we do in a habitual way according to the flesh? And how do we move out of that? What are we supposed to do in response to that? So in general, is developing a habit or a developing habit is developing habits a practice 
and a behavior or of the flesh, or is it a spiritual thing that we do? So it's something to think about. Is, is our habits something that we do in the flesh, in our bodies? Is it something natural that we do? Or is it something that is a spiritual thing? Meaning, is developing habits a natural function, or is it a particularly spiritual function? Well, I think certainly we can develop spiritual habits by way of spiritual disciplines, right? If we're going to make a habit of getting it, well, we, that's the idea, is we're going to make a habit of it, right? If we regularly sit down and we discipline ourselves to sit down, be in the Word, be in prayer, memorize God's Word, meditate on His Word, and be examining ourselves for our sin, if we are doing these things, that's going to require some effort and energy to do that. And it needs to be an intentional thing. We don't just fall into doing those things. That, those things are intentional. We have to think about them, make a plan, and make it happen. It's not just going to naturally, we're not going to naturally do those things. So it is possible to develop habits in that way. However, the normal course of habits, uh, apart from the discipline of intentionally forming habits, when we talk about habits normally in the normal, natural way, we more like fall into habits. It's more a fleshly body's response to our stimuli and the environment around us. We fall into doing things that our flesh would have us to do. That's essentially what is normally the case. We fall into habits of thinking certain ways and having particular thoughts, depending on what and how things are going on around us, or what we are setting before our eyes, right? What, what the, in the form of art or entertainment. Those things are going to be part of our habits, or they're going to be forming the way we respond to the things around us. Uh, when we're looking at entertainment or music or movies or books or blogs or Fox News or Facebook, you know, those things are going to form the way that we are going to respond to things around us, to the world around us. And we're going to have natural ways of responding to those things. As we look at them and we respond, uh, we have natural responses to those stimuli, and those responses are most often going to be sinful unless we've intentionally done something otherwise. The natural responses are fleshly unless they're directed by intentional, disciplined, spiritual considerations. Now, because the force and importance of habits in our lives, you know, because of the, the importance and the force of the habits that, that affect us, how it affects our lives, we need to be mindful of how sinful habits create barriers for responding biblically to people and circumstances around us. So, in other words, the living in the flesh or not paying attention to it so that we fall into these things in fleshly responses, we need to be careful about uh, how those are affecting us in our life and how we can change that if we're going to please God. In other words, to live in the Spirit is not our natural response. Our natural response meaning what we would do in our sinful nature before salvation. So before salvation, remember we talked about the flesh last week, and that, that sinful nature, before we are saved, we have no option otherwise. We have no strength of the Holy Spirit. We have no desire to please God. We're just going to do those things that are our fleshly desires. We're just going to please ourselves. Remember we talked about sin being narcissistic. Essentially, we are looking to please ourselves. We're, in, we're into it for what we can gain out of it. And that's what we're naturally going to do. And the believer, 
uh, as well as the believer living in the flesh rather than the spirit is going to have similar responses. So if we're not living according to the spirit, if we're not concentrating on living and thinking about how to mortify our sin, thinking about how to put these things off, then we're going to continue to fall into those habits of sinful responses. Now, the the alternative to that, the believer living in the power of the Holy Spirit, having regularly and intentionally studied the Word, meditated upon it, and considered how to apply it in the day-to-day, which is what it means to live in the Spirit, is to be reading the Word written by the Spirit, to be meditating on the Word written by the Spirit, and considering how to apply the Word that is written by the Spirit. That That is what living in the Spirit is. The believer who's doing that will develop new habits of responding righteously to circumstances and relationships, not in the flesh. But that requires, as I've said, work, energy, thought, consideration, planning. You know, we do, it doesn't come naturally for us to do those things. So we're talking about habits. What, what is habit? What are habits? Well, as defined by Jay Adams... The capacity to the habits are the capacity to learn to respond unconsciously, automatically, and comfortably. So we all recognize that, right? We we get into a pattern of just doing things without thinking about it. That's what a habit essentially is. We we just do it without it. Just is what we do. As defined by Noah Webster, I thought I'd throw this on in for Ron's benefit. <laughs> a disposition or condition of the mind, or this is much longer than Jay Adams. Uh, definition. A disposition or condition of the mind or body acquired by custom or a frequent repetition of the same act. Habit is that which is held or retained, the effect of custom or frequent repetition. Hence, we speak of good habits and bad habits. So there are good habits we have and there are bad habits we have. Of course, a good habit could be exercising regularly or brushing your teeth, or something like that. You know, that, Those could be good habits. Are those righteous habits? They could be, depending on where you're at, I suppose, they, they, depending on what the application is there. But uh, they're not necessarily righteous habits. Um, but they are good habits, and we all know what bad habits are, whether that's chewing your nails or whatever. You know, there's all kinds of things we know are bad habits. Uh, but... In our context here, of course, we're talking about those habits that we get into that are sinful responses, natural, normal, habitual responses to things. Now, to show the power of habits, just to think this through, Jay Adams puts forth the consideration of what would happen if the capacity for habits was removed from a person completely. So in other words, think about what you would do if you did not have any habits. Like if you woke up in the morning, you'd have to think, where am I? <laughs> you know, and then you have to think, how do I get out of this bed I'm in? You know, you're used to the alarm ringing. You turn the alarm off. You swing the left leg or the right leg over, and you get out of the bed. That kind of thing. You'd have to think about every single thing that you did all day long. So brushing your teeth, driving the car, getting dressed. Hopefully not in that order. <laughs> You'd have to think about every one of those things that you were going to do throughout the day. So habits are extremely important. And when we talk about habits in the context of sinful habits, according to the flesh, 
or those habits that are righteous according to discipline, essentially, according to what we have thought about in pleasing the Lord, because we're going to have to actually do it with thought. It's not we're not going to fall into those things. We're going to have to actually make ourselves do those things. We talk about those in that context. Habits are even more important because it's not just a matter of whether we're getting out of bed or not or brushing our teeth or not, or it's a matter of whether we're pleasing the Lord or not. Some more scriptures to consider. Hebrews 10, 23-25, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The person who does not have a desire to hear God's word on a regular basis, it's really easy to fall into the habit of not coming to church on Sunday morning. It's a really easy one to fall into. You miss a couple Sundays for whatever reason, you're like, eh, I don't feel like going back. I just don't. I'm not. I, it's tough getting up in the morning, you know. It's really tough getting up in the morning. So I don't want to make, make that extra effort on a Sunday morning when I've been doing it all week. So it's very easy to fall into that habit. 2 Peter 2, 9 through 14. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. And then that's verse 10, skipping down to 12. But these, like unreasoning animals, unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong, they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery, they never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed. So they've been trained in greed. And how do we train to do anything? We train by repetition. We train by doing something over and over again. And we're going to, in our fleshly response to life, in our sinful nature before Christ, and in our fleshly response after, within Christ, we are going to fall into being trained into following the flesh rather than doing what God would have us to do unless we make a, a specific effort to do otherwise. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So God's word, inspired, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training. You take those things and you do it over and over and over again in training, and that is what develops into righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The man of God is not going to be adequate and equipped for every good work apart from doing those things, apart from taking God's inspired word and learning from it, being reproved by it, being corrected by it, and training over and over and over again. The man of God is not going to be adequate and equipped for every good work. This is not going to happen. Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So developing the habit, training and training and training in learning the word, in taking in that solid food of the word to be mature, practicing, 
so that you're trained and you can under, you, you understand, you can see good and evil. You can recognize what is pleasing to God, what is not pleasing to God. Are we able to recognize what is pleasing to God apart from God's Word? We have a conscience, I guess, before Christ, so we have some sense of it. But in the, the detailed revelation of what God has given us, we have no idea how to please God apart from His Word. So we need to be in His Word in order to please Him, in order to be trained to discern what is pleasing to Him and what is not. So the point of reviewing these is to focus on the fact that we train, as I said over and over again, to live in the flesh and or train to live in the Spirit. The passages we read address the training, mostly we talked about in righteousness of unbelievers, uh, but the believers also trained in unrighteousness as he lives gratifying his flesh. So the believer can also be trained in unrighteousness as he is not living according to the Spirit. And this is going to render the believer unfruitful and immature. As we said, maturity only comes through that training by his word. So apart from doing that, the believer is going to be unfruitful and immature. So Hebrews 5.14 again, But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. However, the verses just prior to that, starting at the end of verse 11, you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. When I read that, I can't help but think that whoever the author of Hebrews was was trying to get somebody's attention. He's trying to say, you have been a believer for a really long time, and you ought to be teaching people by now, but you're only taking in milk. That's all you can handle because you're not, you haven't trained yourself in the Word. And so to consider, how trained am I? Am I trained? And how long have I been a believer? And am I needing milk instead of solid food? Our natural ability to develop and keep habits is neutral. So I went, you know, I started off this saying that habits are, when we fall into habits, that's going to be a fleshly thing that we're going to do. It's going to be a, a, a consideration and a concentrated and a deliberate thing we're going to have to do in order to develop habits that are righteous. However, habits in themselves, the, the concept of having habits or different habits is neutral. We can have habits that benefit us in our godliness and sanctification. We can also have habits that deter us. We can recognize the effects of the flesh in our sinful habits and in our difficulty and our lack of desire in killing them. So as we allow sin to reign in our life, as we allow sin to stay in our life, as we continue in some habitual sin, we can recognize the work of the flesh in that being the case. We can recognize our bending to the fleshly desires if we're not willing to mortify sin, if we're not looking at how to mortify sin from our lives. As I said last Sunday, we can't blame our habitual sin and inclinations towards sinful thoughts and actions on Satan or the world. It's us. It's within us. It's our fleshly desires that are in us. We can't blame the world. We can't blame anything else. It's just us. So Jay Adams, in the Christian Counselor's Manual, um, he listed out some patterns of habitual sin. He says, the three most fundamental problems with a habit are summed up by saying that the habitual practice has become second nature. So we understand that, right? If you have a habit, 
it's my second nature to do this. You know, so, something happens and I respond this way automatically. I do this thing and I automatically do this next thing. It's our second nature. He says, number one, the counselee has become comfortable with the practice. He no longer feels awkward or wooden while performing. So if there's something sinful, am I feeling comfortable about that? Am I, is it normal for me to do that? And I don't really feel awkward or, or wooden about doing it. Number two, the counselee automatically responds to certain given situations or stimuli in a habitual way. That's what we just talked about. So something happens and you automatically respond in a way. Number three, the counselee engages in the practice or at least begins to do so without conscious thought or decision. So you're not, and essentially, you're not thinking about it before you do it. You just do it. Now, how does this play out in our marriages and in our families? And I honestly have not thought of any specific examples of this right now. So uh, you ask the child to do the dishes, and the dishes don't get done. Do you respond with an angry yelling and screaming or scolding, or is it a gentle, okay, I asked you to do the dishes, let's go have a training session, you know, or whatever. Uh, or your husband or your wife says something that you have clearly gotten upset before, and she says it again, or he says it again, and you respond again the same way. Well, they may have said something that tempted you to be upset when we talked about this last week, but we're not forced to be angry with anybody. We're not made, we're not caused to be angry with anybody. But when we respond that way, particularly if it's an automatic thing, you need to start thinking about how to mortify that sin. You need to start thinking about what do I need to do to recognize this is coming so that I can cut it off at the pass. So we need to recognize the triggers. I don't like really saying that because it's too much of a psycho term. But we need to recognize the things that tempt us to sin and start recognizing when they're coming, when it might happen, and how we're going to respond in a righteous way. And as I said, this requires a lot of pre-consideration, pre-thought, deliberate intentions. We can't just, we're not automatically going to do the right thing. We have to think about how we're going to respond in these situations. Now, Jay goes on for several pages uh, regarding recognizing those triggers to a habitual sin, uh, identifying, memorizing appropriate scripture, getting help in noticing the sinful action. Because, you know, if you have a bad habit, it's a habit, so a lot of times you don't even recognize you're doing it, right? And so if you wanted to get somebody to help you, have some accountability or somebody to help you in that, then you would ask them to tell you, tell me when you see me doing this, or if you hear me saying this word that I shouldn't be saying. Um, you know, like all of us need to stop saying like, like I just did, right? So whatever it is, uh, we need to have them help us out. Well, in a sinful situation with our husband or our wife, we ought to be very open to allow them and to be gracious in receiving it and gracious in giving it in hearing them tell us when we are sinning, particularly in something that we do on a regular basis because we might not even notice it. So we need to be okay with being told you do this all the time and it's sinful and you need to stop. And that's hard to hear, particularly husbands from wives, probably, you know, don't tell me I'm the leader in this family, right? So we need to be okay to hear that. And an even tougher thing is we need to be okay with hearing it from our kids. You know, our kids recognize sin in our life. We definitely need to hear them. If they point that out to us, we need to be, if they're doing it, if they're coming to us and they're saying, 
Dad, you sin in this way. You've sinned against me several times in the last month this way. And Scripture says, you know, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth or whatever it is. We got to hear that. And we have to be ready to confess it. We need to be ready to ask for forgiveness. And so, and that's a hard thing to do. But I'll tell you what, that sets an awesome example for them when we do that. Uh, so Jay goes much further into this. So if you're interested in that, I'll tell you where to find it. But as believers, we don't have to live with sinful habits. In Christ, we can live the rest of our lives no longer controlled by the flesh. First Peter 1 Peter 4.2 Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So as we've said several times along here, that we don't have to live in the flesh. We can live according to the Spirit. Does this mean a person could live the rest of his or her life after salvation in a way that is always pleasing to God? As in, for the will of God at the end of verse 2 there? Is it, is it possible to do that? Well, uh, we're, told, we're told more than once in the New Testament to be holy as He is holy, so we might have the capacity for it. But if the Apostle Paul wrote that he struggled in a battle of sinning in the flesh and not always living in the Spirit, I doubt any of us are likely to succeed in doing that 100% in holiness. Habits are tough and they're difficult to alter. I think Chris used this verse this morning. Jeremiah 13, 23, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Accustomed, meaning it's a habit. We're in a habit of doing evil, and this is hyperbole here. It's not saying that we can't change. He's just saying that, you know, like an Ethiopian trying, Ethiopian trying to change his skin or a leopard trying to change its spots, it's going to be really, really hard for that to happen. I mean, they can't do that at all, but he's making a point that the habit of doing evil is a tough change. The wrong influences can wreck godly habits of pursuing godliness. So as we are pursuing doing this, being with the right people is going to be really important in order to continue to fight the flesh. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Morals can also be customs or usages or character. In other words, good habits and the results of them can be completely messed up by being with bad company. When we're hanging around with the wrong people, we, we become like the people we hang around most of the time. <clears throat> Unless you're a missionary intentionally going to the pagans and you are preaching the gospel and you know that's your environment and that's your task and that's what you are doing and you are solid on that, if we're just hanging out with people, we're going to become like those people. So this is one of the greatest values of the church body, the encouragement to live in the Spirit, living for the purpose of pleasing God, having people around who notice and are concerned when we sin. You know, when we see somebody sinning in the body, we ought not to be just letting them continue on in that. I mean, that's, we feel like that's the nice thing to do. Well, it's his life. He can live it as he wants. And, you know, that kind of, but it's not the loving thing or the right thing to do to allow them to continue in that sin. 
There's a lot of churches out there that are not dealing with sin in their body. And it's not, they're not dealing with it from the pastor or elders or whoever's in charge, and they're not dealing with it amongst themselves, and they're not helping themselves any. They're not encouraging one another to grow in grace by doing that. So being in the company of believers that care about whether we sin or not, receiving instruction, reproof, rebuke, and retraining in the Word, as we already talked about. We become like those we hang around most of the time. We should be pursuing time regularly with those who encourage us in pleasing God rather than those who will encourage us in pursuing what our flesh already drives us towards. So if we're hanging around with fleshly, or un, unbelie, fleshly believers or unbelievers that are going to drive, that's, it's not going to take much. We're already bent that way. We're already going to be, you know, already moving that direction. If we're hanging out with them, we probably are sort of falling into that anyway. But they're going to be helping us in those selfish pursuits, not in serving others and pleasing God. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship is light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Now, of course, talking about that is starting to bend over into talking about the world, which is next week. So we're not going to go any further down that road. But uh, applying all these things in our marriages, families, and homes, if we have the opportunity in our homes to be uplifting and edifying influences, pushing one another in our homes toward Christ-likeness, if we can do that... um, we have, we have the opportunity to do that, or we have the opportunity to be, to be influences toward greater worldliness and fleshly pursuits. So we have the opportunity to do either one. So as parents, we are accountable to be the former. We, have, we are accountable to be those in our homes that are influencing and pushing everybody in the home toward increasing Christ-likeness. We don't have the option of pursuing our fleshly lusts. We are accountable to not be stumbling blocks to our kids and to push them toward Christ-likeness. We need to develop a culture of pursuing godliness in our homes, meaning we need to be regularly examining ourselves, putting off sin, renewing our minds with the Word, and putting on godliness. Additionally, as parents, we need to help our kids do the same by helping them see their own sin, how to apply the Word, and how to put on righteousness instead. This is why when we're doing training, meaning giving a spanking, or if they're older, whatever spank, whatever kind of training it has to be, or when they're beyond that, but when we're doing that training, the Word has to be included in those training sessions. It has to, we have to be talking to them about what did you do that was displeasing to God what do you need to do instead? And what does the Word say? Well, first, what does the Word say about it? And then what do you need to be doing instead? What are you going to put off? Let's renew your mind with the Word. Maybe you need to memorize this so you don't do it anymore because we've seen it several times in the last month. What are you going to do instead? What are you going to put on? What kind of action are you going to put on instead? Helping them do that. Kids don't know how to do this on their own. They need to learn it from somebody, and they're going to have to learn it from the, the most most going to benefit from learning from their own parents and hopefully seeing the example of their parents as their parents are doing that. Remember, the sinful habits we keep are those that our kids are likely to learn from us also. They watch and imitate us more than we, could, than we would like them to sometimes. 
Like, you know, you start hearing them say things that you say, you start seeing them act in ways that you act, and you're like, I got to stop doing that because they can't continue it in this way. You start, you, we recognize our own sin oftentimes in our kids as they repeat it. And that's a bad thing. We ought to be recognizing it ahead of time and dealing with it before it gets to that point. They pick up our responses to everything. We can bless our kids most by setting an example of pleasing God rather than setting examples of sinful habits for which they will have to work to overcome also. So essentially, you could be setting them up for a habitual sin that they're going to have to deal with, and it might be much more difficult later on for them to deal with it if you haven't dealt with it already. If you have set the example, they get in that pattern, and then they have to deal with a sinful habit that may be hard to break. And so we have a responsibility to be careful of those things. Um, so I'm going to post um, all of my teaching notes. So if you want to just you know say this to yourself, you can hear it again by reading it if you want. But uh, there's a whole bunch. I went through that book. I told you I hadn't read that. Well, I had read the book, but it'll been a long time ago. The Enemy Within, Chris Lungard. So I went through pretty much the whole book in studying for this, and that actually wasn't what I thought. So because I had already prepared that. Um, but there's a whole bunch of really good, I pulled out a bunch of quotes and it's just, and I was tempted just to come in here this morning and work through the quotes and commentary on it and discussion. Uh, so really good stuff. So these, I'll post these with the resources or with the, on the sermon page of the web, website, when you go to listen to it, the, we can tag, we can add resources on there. You can just download it there. So, um, some really good things in there. Um, so I'll just read the first one. If sin only, this is Chris Lungard, if sin only came to visit now and then, we could get a lot of godliness done while it was away. If it were like an army that struck, then pulled back for a time, we could refresh ourselves and fortify our defenses during the calm. But the flesh is a relentless homebody and assailant. Meaning the flesh is always with us, as we talked about. The flesh is always going to be attacking us. It's always going to be driving us to do those things that are not pleasing to God. It's not like it takes a break. It's always with it. It's like Paul said about escaping the body of death. He may have been referring to carrying around a dead body on your back as punishment for murder and just letting the thing rot on you. I mean, it's carrying that sin with us all the time. There's no, there's no one. There's no spiritual duty, nothing godly you can set yourself to in which you won't feel the wind of sin's resistance in your face. So everything that we try and do, the flesh is trying to make us not do that. As we try and please God, the flesh is always there. As we want to do new things to please God, if we want to start developing those habits of pleasing God, of sitting down and, and developing our, our good habits and our, our righteous habits of, of According to the, being according to living according to the flesh and being in the Word on a regular basis, being in prayer on a regular basis, meditating on God's, as we struggle to do those, as we try and do those things, what happens? Particularly if you try and do it early in the morning. You're sleepy, right? The flesh tempts you to stay up late and watch a stupid movie you probably shouldn't have watched anyway, right? Or whatever it is. We, we find all kinds of things that are comfortable and easy for us to do that prevent us from doing the things that we know that we ought to be doing instead. The more you discover the power of indwelling sin, the less you will suffer its effects. Because the be- and that's what we're trying to accomplish here. Because the better you know, the more you will hate it, and to the length you abhor it, and no farther, 
you will grasp for grace against it. So until we understand the power of the flesh in our life and the power of the flesh to influence us to do those things that are not pleasing to God, until we understand that, we are not going to hate our sin as we should. We are not going to fight the flesh as we should unless we are aware of it. And that's what we were trying to accomplish here. And the same thing with the world and um, <laughs> don't like, uh, the devil. <laughs> same thing with the devil and, and the world. Um, one more. Uh, sometimes we think of the flesh as our enemy, but it only hates us because God is in us. The flesh wars against the spirit in us, Galatians 5.17. What the flesh hates is God, so it resists anything that smacks of God, especially communion with Him. The flesh can curl up by your side and watch mindless movies all night long, but let even the barest thought of meditations flutter into your mind and the flesh goes to red alert. Before you get past Our Father, your eyes, which were glued to the screen, now sag in sleepiness, and your attention, which was so fixed on the plot, now zips around the universe faster than the Starship Enterprise. Isn't that true? We are so easily entertained by mindless stuff, but when it comes to focusing on those things that we ought to be focusing on, it is so difficult, and that is the flesh working against us. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time this morning. We do thank you for your word that it, that it uh, makes the flesh evident to us, that you have hidden nothing from us about these dangers and that we can look into the word and know how to battle the flesh that's within us, that you have given us the resources to do so, that you have granted us the Holy Spirit working in our life, that we can uh, understand your word and know how to apply it, and that uh, pray that you would make us faithful to do so, that you would make us... Um, Give us a greater desire to know you more fully, to know your word more fully, that we might apply it uh, more fully in our lives and in the lives of our families and our households too. In Jesus' name, amen.